In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Live on TojiNet. And welcome to our very special episode of Ghost Chronicles Book of Shadows. I am your, what do, what do you call those people? Muggin, Muggins, Muggins. Sandra, help me out here. What, what am I? You're a muggle. I am, yeah, I am your muggle, the... Uh, Master of the mystical, the magical, the macabre, New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Kolick. And with me is my very, very special guest, um, Sandra Mariah Power. Thanks for having me on the show, Ron. That's not fair. I'm sitting here with a stupid phone in my ear. <laughs> Anyways, um, we have broad- why this is happening, because we are actually broadcasting on Gallows Hill, right? So we're like hanging out at Gallows Hill. Yeah. Yeah. So this is Gallows Hill, who, who, for people who don't know, is where supposedly the witches were hung. It would be hanged, actually. Mm-hmm. Anything you get hung, people get hanged. Well, it depends on who well, hangs them. It's, it's, a, it's, it's just a grammatical. Uh, it's going to be one of those days, isn't it, huh? <laughs> Evidently, you've never worked with me before. Okay. Uh, no, I, I've worked with you before. But anyways, yeah. So I mean, is this uh, this is not the place where they get hung, hanged, or whatever they did? Well, Le- well the, the, the local lore is that they were hanged um, from a tree that stood where the water tower stands right now. Okay. If you're visiting Salem and you see Salem's water tower, um, then you're looking at the spot where they were allegedly hanged. Okay. So they tore down the tree and put up a water tower. Yep, that's the local war. Now, now isn't that kind of cool? Because that used to be one of the tests for witches. They used to take them and stick them in water. And yeah, yes. <laughs> if she if she floats, she floats, right? If she drowns. Yeah, she was in a <laughs> pretty, pretty interesting test. Yeah. Mm. So, so if she floats, we're gonna hang her, hang her or burn her. her. But if she drowns, she was in a yeah. Okay. I see we have an echo here. Can I send you across the room? Oh yeah, I'll go across. Shoot, shoot. Okay. So that's the deal. If if they float, they're good. No. Yeah. If they float, they're bad. If they don't float, they're good. Yeah. That's that was the way it went. Not not a good choice, really. Okay. So uh, all right. 
I, it looks like we solved this problem, or maybe not. Anyways, um, we are here with, as I mentioned, Sandra Powers, who is a witch. So, like, how do you become, I mean, I've always known you as a, a real witch. In fact, you were one of the first real witches that I've, I've met, being a good old Catholic boy. You know, so, um, how does one become a witch? Well, when I was really young, I, uh, I was also raised Catholic like you. I grew up in an Irish Catholic family, but um, there were a lot of things about it that didn't sit right with me, mm-hmm. and especially being a woman. And, uh, what are you trying to say, Sandra? <laughs> well, um, I, I feel like there were more uh, positive role models for men in that religion. Let's put it that way. I, fe- I feel like a lot of um, we took a lot of blame as women because of uh, the way that they sort of pinned everything on Eve. <laughs> and yeah, but we all know that's true. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't understand that thing, but that's all right. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, we had nuns. I mean, that's... You know, sure, but they were... We even had flying nuns, which is close to a witch, right? Yeah, but but nuns are... They don't have the same status within the church that the priests do. Um, and I was looking for something where um, it was more imbalanced, where women and men had positive role models, where they were both um, sort of of equal power and that they... Um, could both, you know, minister and serve the community equally. So. Well, wait a minute. Isn't it in the witchdom that, like, women are higher, like the goddesses? Well, there are goddesses and gods. Not all goddesses. I mean, there are some um, people that do practice a um, a more, I guess you say, I don't want to say skewed, but. Their focus is either on one or the other, but the religion as a whole, if you take, if you take witchcraft or Wicca as a whole, mm-hmm. um, and, and witchcraft is one umbrella, and Wicca is, is a, comes under that umbrella, um, it's, it's, more, it's much more balanced overall. I mean, there are certain smaller sectors, like Deanic Wicca, for instance, where the focus is really feminine. But on the goddess think, Deanna? But that, I think, is a backlash um, from, you know, from living in the patriarchy for as long as people have. I think that the pendulum winds up swinging back in the opposite direction. For a lot of people, they feel like, you know, they've got to uh, bring it into balance in their own lives by focusing on something that is the opposite of what they have been raised with or whatever. So I think that's kind of partially where that comes from. Now, now you said Deanna. Now, now I know Deanna is a, one of the, I think, Roman or Greek gods. No, Roman gods, I believe, wasn't it? Right, and she's um, a, a lunar goddess, and uh, basically, I think that it's because of, well, it's, it's very recognizable. The name is very recognizable. She's a very popular goddess. I mean, I think most people learn about her in school when they study mythology when they're quite young. I remember, I don't know, I was like maybe second or third grade or something when we started doing mythology. So um, she's very recognizable, and the tradition takes its name from her. But in general, it's um, Deanic Wicca is uh, sort of a goddess-centered and 
you know, female-centric form of Wicca. Okay. So, you just picked up, I mean, what did you learn witchcraft? I mean, it's like, uh, okay, I was Catholic. No, I don't like Catholicism because women are not being treated right, so I'm going to be a witch. So, I mean, how do you make that jump? Well, living in Salem, I think that jump was easier than it is for a lot of people that live in areas where um, there isn't a lot of public um, acceptance in general from society um, for witchcraft. But in Salem, there actually uh, was, at the time, a a witch shop um, by the name of Crowhaven Corner. And at the time, it was the only witch shop in town, if you can believe that. Um, And I think... I don't know if I was, I think I was maybe 11 years old the first time I walked in there, and it, it just resonated with me, the the, uh, the whole image of nature, um, and it's very earth-centered, that whole, um, just the whole aura of it, I guess you could say, it resonated with me with things that I sort of naturally was drawn to as a small child, like animals and the spirit of the woods. Because I grew up on Gallows Hill, and the Salem woods um, were where I spent a lot of my youth, and I saw what I considered to be magical things happening. So I felt um, that that was more of a spiritual calling for me, I guess, than uh, sitting in the cold pews of the church, you know, um, listening to the priest doing what was considered the magic up on the altar where the rest of us were just spectators, I realized that in witchcraft, um, the magic is within all of us and we are all taking part in it. We're not spectators. We're actually doing it. All right. That's pretty, you know, PC kind of like, you know, uh, but what? (laughs) Seriously. I mean, what do you do? I mean, what is a witch? I mean, do you, like, cast spells and, you know, we, we have... I mean, I know spells, you know, candle spells and stuff like that. But, I mean, I, don't, I just don't, you know, you, you all of a sudden you want to become a witch. I mean, it's like, you know, Catholicism is kind of cool because it's really basically a... used to be a spectator sport. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You just went in and you watched everything. But with a witch, it's more like you're down and dirty in the in the trenches. Absolutely, you're actually doing you're actually doing the magic. I mean, I I, I um I like the ritual, um you know the ritual aspect of of uh, Catholicism. Mm-hmm. But my actually, when I think back, I think my favorite part was uh, Shepherd's Mass, which was Christmas Eve midnight mass. The church would be dark. We'd all be holding candles and singing. And I said to myself, when I transitioned into witchcraft, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, that was, my, that was my favorite part of being Catholic, you know, and that's no wonder I became a witch. We always joked that uh, Catholicism was the doorway to the craft because, um, because the reverence for the Virgin Mary was akin to the reverence for the goddess. And, um, and so it was an easy transition for me. And it wasn't the only religion that I explored. And at the time, I wasn't even quite sure that it was an actual religion. It was more of a practice, the practice of magic, the idea of making something happen, invoking your personal will and using tools that were either natural, um, things from the earth, stones, herbs, um, 
you know, creating potions and incenses and oils and burning candles using fire, things that were very natural to, um, to make change happen, hopefully positive change for yourself and others around you. And that's, that's what drew me initially. And then I explored deeper and realized there was an entire religion and a religious belief behind all of that that made sense to me as well, where there was, um, you know, uh, worship of a god and a goddess, not just uh, a masculine figure, but also a feminine figure. In, in, uh, it, it appealed to me. Yeah, I, I noticed in the uh, Parax chat room they were actually making little juju dolls of me and sticking something in it. I don't know what that is all about. But, uh, <laughs> They're sticking pins in your eyes? Evidently, I must have ticked off somebody, but what else is new? Uh, okay, so let's let's jump right to the thing because you know I'm a ghost hunter, right? Yes, I do. Okay. So, like, which is the conjure up spirits or ghosts? We do. We do work with them. Okay. So what's the difference? Well, in many cases, when we're working with spirits, we're calling upon our own ancestors. Those ancestors might be actual blood ancestors, people from our family who have passed on, or um, very close friends of ours that we have lost, or possibly other uh, powerful witches who are part of our sort of spiritual family that have passed on. And those are all, you know, part of the, um, the quote-unquote family tree for a witch. We're not necessarily um, calling up specific spirits that are named in, you know, old dusty tomes, although we could. Um, you could. There's, yeah, there certainly are... Um, there certainly are features to that. So you, you could actually conjure up spirits that you have nothing to do with. You just want to talk. So otherwise, could you conjure up elves? <laughs> well, um, I think you could reach out, definitely, um, especially if you had items that Elvis owned while he was alive because that's, that's what's called an object link, mm-hmm. something that a person... Um, put a lot of their energy into while they were alive, it retains some of that aura and energy after they pass. For instance, when I want to communicate with my grandfather, I go into the basement um, to where his workshop was because one of the things he absolutely loved to do was carpentry, and his wood shop is still it still stands in, in the basement of my home. So I can go there and I feel his energy, much more so than if I went and visited his grave. So are spirits attached to objects as well? They can be, yeah. You know, that was interesting because when I first started doing this, I thought that was like the most stupidest thing I've ever heard of. You know, why would you be attached to a wooden figurine or a coffee table? Uh, but then I started going back to my Catholic religion and I realized that we have relics. We do. And what what are relics? Yeah. Relics are something that belong to somebody that still has energy with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, relics are known to replicate themselves. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There, there can be. You know, a... how many pieces of the cross are there? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and this is the very straw that the. Christ child laid on in the manger. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But surely it was okay. But, you know, it's interesting because, 
Well, we'll stick with the ghost. They're not going to bring something up a little bit later. But uh, so conjuring. Now, I've always had this great idea, and I, I don't understand why aren't there more witches in like ghost hunting groups. I mean, we have mediums, which are really cool, because we have somebody who can talk to the dead or, you know, but why not a witch who can actually conjure up the dead? Why not? That's a good question. I would love to do an experiment where you would have, uh, let me see, Uh, it would be like if you went to a location and you did an investigation, which is strictly scientific, then you went back to the location and took perhaps a medium with you and saw the results you got. And then perhaps a third time you would go with uh, maybe just a witch and then maybe a fourth time with the witch and a medium and to see what degrees of evidence you would collect with each of these uh, factors involved. That would be very interesting. Yeah, to go, especially to go before doing any form of conjuration and getting a reading with your, with your uh, equipment and then to go back after a conjuration or even during a conjuration and see what your equipment would register. But, you know, you, you, talking about conjuration, how do you know that you're going to get what you asked for? You know, if you're asking for Elvis, how do you know that, uh, you know, Adolf Hitler doesn't pop in instead? <laughs> well, hopefully you don't do anything that would attract the attention of Adolf Hitler, but um, there, are, there are ways that you can sort of um, write magical fine print for anything that you do, and that includes spell work, um, you know, where you're actually asking for things in a very specific manner, following um, methods that have been time-tested. I mean, there are a lot of effective witches out there um, who just sort of listen to their inner bells, and that's cool. But there are also traditions out there that hand down sort of formulary um, that's just proven. I mean, if you ask me to bake you a birthday cake, I'm not going to just walk into a grocery store, pick anything I like off the shelf, and throw it together in the kitchen. I'm going to grab my mom's recipe, and I'm going to start from there. Now, I might tailor it a little bit because, you know, you like almonds or you don't like walnuts or, you know, you like vanilla but you don't like chocolate. But I'm not going to necessarily just start scratch because while salt looks a lot like sugar, it certainly doesn't taste like it. So... It's sort of like, if, you know, why reinvent the wheel? Take something that works, spice it up with your own sort of energy, and um, have the best of both worlds. Have a proven methodology and a proven recipe, and then take it from there with your own spin. Now, we have some, I know we have an echo in here. That's because we're close to each other. But Absolutely. So I have to kind of like, not only am I holding the phone to my ear, but now I have to cover up the the mouthpiece when you are speaking and remember to take my hand off when I'm speaking. Do you want me to, uh, to head to the bell tower so that I... Uh... No, because I, I really want to see you when I when I speak to you. I can't, you know, if, if this was the case, I would have just called in and, and, you know, and put a picture of you up somewhere or something. But uh, this way, no, I, I don't understand, you know, this technical, technological stuff, but it's it's kind of annoying. Um, nothing to do with you, all witches, but it's just driving me nuts. Anyway, um, there's got to be a better way. 
Melby, okay. Well, you've done radio before. Yes. Okay. And you never had these problems, right? I have not normally been in the same room with my co-host. Ah. So the plot thickens. <laughs> Except when I was with you down at Town Warlock. We were in the same room, but we were on microphones, not headsets. Hmm. Well, it's a little late for that because, yeah. Yeah. anyway, I know we are coming up to the break. But anyway, Sandra, do you have any questions for me, being a muggle and all that? I do. I do. You, you say that you are Catholic, and yet you explore all of these um, kind of countercultural different um, aspects of, of uh, spirituality. Are you strict? Are you strict Catholic, or do you think you've kind of strayed into the, the more eclectic stuff? No, I, I am strict. I call myself a good old Catholic boy. I, I go to church every Sunday. I uh, uh, go to communion. You know, I, I believe in the Catholic religion, but I think the Catholic religion is misinterpreted. Ah, okay, okay. So you think that there's room for magic? you believe in magic? Define magic. The act of invoking one's will to make change happen. Are you invoking one's will? Are you invoking God's will? Your own personal true will. Mm, That's not necessarily true. No, you don't believe in that. Um, I believe... Uh, well, whatever. Sort of like the cigarette. Now, the cigarette is, is something where you make things happen by creating uh, your own universe, basically. Uh, if you make it, they will come. In other words, uh, you know, you believe that you're going to win the lottery, and, and you believe it so much you're going to win the lottery. So, I mean, it's that type of thing. You, you, you're sick, so you believe in it so much it happens. But is it happening because of you, or is it happening because of divine intervention that you have faith? So you do believe in the power of positive thinking. Absolutely. You believe you're going to win the lottery so much that you could actually win the lottery. That would require a lot of faith. A lot of faith. So you'd pray to God for that, or you'd actually just have such a strong belief that you would do something that you'd actually you know, there's, there's a really a good story about that, actually. There was this guy who was really poor. Actually, he had a tough time, so he did want to win the lottery. So he prayed to God. He, went, he said, God, please let me win the lottery. I really need the money. So God said, yeah, fine. So time went by, nothing happened. And um, months went by, nothing happened. Finally, a year went by, and still nothing happened. And so finally he went back, and he said, God, he says, you told me I was going to win the lottery. And God said to him, buy a ticket. So we do have to do something, which yes. just, you know, we are involved in our destiny. And we have free will, which is the most important thing. But, you know, okay, let's let's take a look at the, the, the uh, uh, what's that new one? Uh, well, it's actually pretty old. Oh, Mary Magdalene, the Holy Grail thing, right? Do you remember that? Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So you're talking sort of about Dan Brown. Dan Brown, right. Right. Now, now they have this whole big deal that that Christ was 
you know, maybe Mary Magdalene was his wife. Maybe they had children, yada, 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 right? Yeah. And, and like some Catholics are like, oh, my God, you know, but they just totally forget the whole thing. God put his son down on earth to be mad. So why wouldn't he? I'm sure he went to the bathroom like we did. <laughs> you know, it's he's he was divine, but and he came for a reason. But yeah, he was human too. So I mean, the Catholic religion is misinterpreted. Yeah. So you're saying that you believe that when Jesus was alive, he may have fallen in love with a woman. And he may have had children with her. It's a possibility, but does it change anything? Absolutely not. Does this make his, his kids any more divine? Absolutely not. Why? Because they weren't divine. They, they were created out of human. Right? I mean, that was the whole deal. I don't know how we get into this, but... Well, you're, you're basically saying, because some people have alleged that Mary Magdalene was actually a witch or a priestess. And so it's scandalous that the son, quote-unquote, the son of God would be um, falling in love with a witch or a priestess um, of the old religion and would, um, you know, actually be, um, if not married to her in the sense that uh, people think of marriage today, at least married in the heart, and to actually have offspring with her, to them I think that... um, I don't know, I guess it sullies his image as, um, you know, as, as, as somehow so different from the rest of us, whereas I thought the message was supposed to be that we are all the children of the gods, that it was um, a way to become, you know, to, for having a, a human savior was a way to show humans that they could aspire to that. Bingo. You, that you actually get that right. You got, that's right. But, I mean, the, the whole thing is he, he was human. That's the key to the whole thing. For instance, when he's in the garden and he knows he's going to be crucified, three times he asks, you know, can you pass this cup? I mean, he didn't want to die. He didn't want to go through that. But he knew that he had to. And still, I mean... It, you know, that's the way it is. But anyways, he was human, and that's one aspect of religion. Now, the other thing, of course, was when you were growing up, we were talking about uh, a purgatory. Okay? Right. Yeah, purgatory. There there actually was a purgatory when I was young. I guess they've eliminated that now? Yeah, it depends who you talk to. <laughs> anyways, I mean... It's the church is still run by humans. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it does change. And we know that because before, if you weren't Catholic, you went to hell. And now if you live a good life, if you treat your brother like you treat your Lord, then you, wow, we got into big-time religion here. But anyways, the whole thing, it is changing, and uh, that's not a bad thing. It's you know. No, definitely not. I just want to know what happened to everybody that was hanging out in purgatory. Oh, purgatory. That's how we get into that, right? Okay. <laughs> now, a, a lot of people think, you know, um, ghosts, okay? Yeah. And if there's ghosts around, then we should show them the light, and then everything's cool. Why haven't 
why haven't they moved on? You're saying, like, moved on to heaven. That's the theory for you? That ghosts are here because they haven't moved on to heaven yet? Maybe, you know, some of them are here is because maybe this is the old purgatory, you know, in ear quotes, and that until they've learned, until they've bettered themselves, they don't move on. So are you saying that you, you believe that ghosts observe life, their old life, around the people that they knew while they were alive in order to try to process what happened and have a greater understanding of where they went wrong, quote-unquote, so that they can become enlightened and then move on to heaven? Somewhat like that. They not, not, not necessarily have to hang around people that they know. They can hang around anyone. Okay. And they can actually learn. I mean, it's pretty much uh, reincarnation, only without the body part. Right. I mean, I, as a witch, it's kind of sometimes it's difficult for me to reconcile how I feel about ghosts because we we uh, we do believe uh, primarily uh, people that believe in witchcraft do believe in reincarnation. It's not necessarily a requirement, but um, most people most people who believe in witchcraft believe in incarnation. So the theory is if you're if you're supposed to move on and, and incarnate again, why would your spirit be hanging around in the image that it held while it was here in one specific lifetime if it's supposed to be going on to the next lifetime? And for people who um, traffic with that spirit, are they keeping it from moving on? Are they doing something that would um, keep it from you know, going on to enjoy more lifetimes, you know. But there's there are people that say that there's always a period of rest in between these lifetimes for reflection. Um, and there, there are some theories that basically if you don't rest long enough in between lifetimes, that's why when you incarnate again, you have, um, you know, illnesses and your, your physical weaker because you haven't had your spirit has had enough rest. And this is where they say um, a lot of these things. Well, I'm going to have to ask you to keep that thought because we have to take a break right now. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles, The Book of Shadows on Pararex, on Net, Ghost Channel, and beyond. And we'll be right back after the following messages. Inspiring women to be true to themselves. Get ready for Tracy Porter Radio on Toginet.com. 2 p.m. Central, Wednesdays, starting November 4th. Tracy Porter, lifestyle, home and fashion designer. Inspiring women from all over the world with their fashionably eclectic goods, savvy tips, style advice, and encouraging spirit. TracyPorter.com is home to her designer products and voice to thousands of women who flock to Tracy's daily blog for a daily dose of pure Tracy. And now she's coming to Toginet. All of Tracy's enchanting goods can be found at TracyPorter.com and her nationally sought-after mail catalog, Tracy Porter. Plus, you can find her here on Toginet. Tracy's awards, appearances, and accolades are too numerous to mention here. So, ladies, you've just got to come to be inspired, too. With Tracy Porter Radio, inspiring women to be true to themselves, to let their passions lead. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central, starting November 4th, on toginet.com. Celebrate Green is coming to Toginet, Wednesdays at noon Central Time, starting November 4th. 
The mother-daughter team of Lynn and Corey will have you going green and loving it in no time at all. As heard on Martha Stewart and Disney Radio and seen blogging for HGTV, Lynn Caldwell and Corey Caldwell-Lipsum are unapologetic evangelists for greening every aspect of life, especially holidays and celebrations. Based on their book, Celebrate Green, they're putting the meaning in the greening with their simple, fun, eco-friendly, affordable ideas. From their start with Green Halloween to tips, tricks, ideas, and projects for every holiday, you'll love Celebrate Green. You can check them out online, too, at CelebrateGreen.net and GreenHalloween.org for more information, the newsletter, the blogs, places to shop, cool extras, and so much more. So get ready to Celebrate Green, the radio show with Lynn and Corey, Wednesdays at noon Central Time, starting November 4th on Toginet.com. back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles Book of Shadows on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. The number here, by the way, is 877-864-4869. 877-864-4869. Or you can join us live in the Tojinet chat room, the Pararex chat room, or whatever damn chat room you want to listen to. So, anyway. Uh, Sandra. Okay. So let's go back. I mean... I still always have this stuff of like, I, I know you guys have altars, right? Yeah, we have several, well, there are several different types of altars that you can have, or shrines. Some people differentiate them. Um, an altar being um, a place where you actually do uh, a lot of magical work, and so it changes constantly, and then a shrine um, that sort of stays looking mostly the same and just changes by um, adding offerings and things to it where you don't disturb most of what's on a shrine. You just add to it, whereas an altar is changing constantly um, because you're using different materials as you're doing your spell work, and you're setting it up different ways depending on if you're celebrating the holiday, uh, which we call a Sabbath, or if you're um, doing a specific work in for healing, it'll be set up a little differently, or it might use some different materials than if you're um, doing something for prosperity or, um, or something for love, or, you know, any of the other reasons that you might be doing a working. Are you familiar with feng shui? Yeah, yeah, it's a, that's Eastern philosophy, but yes, the way that a room um, is set up, or the way a whole house is set up, uh, certain principles for the movement of energy through a space, basically, and the, the positive movement of energy through a space, um, so that the energy doesn't get blocked, um, so there's also, it's kind of akin to a practice that I learned about um, in the 90s called Jinshin, which is the same principle but in the human body. Right. I mean, it's all about energy. And, right. and an altar in itself is basically an energy source. It, you create um, an energy source. And, yeah, you, you, you make it an energy source. Definitely. Because, I mean... I, I do have an altar as well. Yep, so, a lot of yeah, a lot of old school Catholics have altars in their homes. Well, not, not, mine is an old school Catholic. It's it's a it's a I call it an altar, but it's it has all the things that are important to me in yeah. it, which is basically kind of what a witch altar is in in some 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 cases. Uh, things that mean special things, people that have passed on. Uh, particular items that, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, 
that retain certain energy that that are good for certain things you want to do. Well, this is kind of weird now, but anyways, yeah. So I mean, just because uh, I mean, it's kind of like a feng shui though, because if you take your altar and you take those pieces and bits and you move them around, you get different results. Uh, that's what I was trying to get at with the feng shui thing. I don't, okay. Do you do that, for instance, if if you have an altar and, and you're doing one spell or something, do you move particular items around when you're doing that spell? Or yeah, and you could be you could move yourself around differently as well. Um, for instance, when you're working to increase or draw something to you, um, you're you're walking clockwise in the circle in the space either around the altar or just in the circle in the space. And if you're trying to banish something and get rid of something, you're walking counterclockwise, which is called clockwise um, jeschel, and they call counterclockwise widdershin. So you're doing something like uh, for the waxing moon, you're going to walk clockwise for everything. And if you Who's that for your bikini wax or what? <laughs> Waxing moon, growing moon. Oh. It's growing in power. It's growing in light in the sky. That's the time to work for things that you want to increase and grow and prosper. Um, whereas uh, if you're looking to get rid of something, quit something, quit a bad habit, or um, you know, get some energy out of your life, you would work from after the full moon um, as the moon is sort of shrinking in the sky. Um, you, you do the work during that time. So you're basically saying your witchcraft is you're imposing your will on something or someone. Well, you're invoking your will to make a change happen. You're not necessarily imposing it on someone. You don't necessarily have to be imposing So, for instance, if two witches get really ticked off at each other, I mean, I, I'm seeing this, you know, from... Uh, you know, Harry Potter, you know, I mean, is that stuff going on or, or is it not going on? I mean, or can it go on? It's definitely going on behind the scenes if it's going on. Um, I don't think you'd ever uh, see blue lightning come shooting out of somebody's hands or something on the street, but... Um, Are you imposing ill will on another person? In general, hopefully not. Um, I'm not going to say no one does that. I, I I definitely think that there are times when um, certain kinds of magical defense or even magical offense is in order. Um, I think that if you ask somebody, um, you know, on, on the street, if they were to be attacked, physically attacked, would they fight back? I think most people would. I don't think a lot of people would just turn the other cheek if somebody walked up to them and oh, well, course you know, just started then. punching them. Of course, of course, you're Catholic then. So if a guy on the street came up and started beating you up and take your wallet, you'd just stand there and take it because you're a Catholic? Right. That's what you would turn the other cheek. Really? Yeah, of course. Okay. I have a feeling if that actually happened, your instincts would take over and you'd actually fight back. Um, but People, I think most people. I could see a couple of three, you know, a couple of three like Hail Marys, and you know, it'll be okay. It'll all be okay. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so okay, so that there isn't really that, or oh, there is. I guess you are saying there can be. 
I mean, I, I don't want, it doesn't, um, most, I don't think most witches just go around, you know, um, cursing and hexing for the heck of it. It's not like if you, you oh, you, you cut in front of me in traffic, so now I'm going to throw a hex on you. I mean, that, that's just kind of. Is that because of the threefold law, or, or is you, it, that's the Wiccan, but not necessarily true witch, right? Well, uh, or is it just bad karma? It's funny because karma is sort of a that's another sort of Eastern philosophy that migrated this way. Um, it, in general, I think um, it's really simple. There's law of cause and effect, and I think that if you um, put out a lot of negativity all the time, you're going to be surrounded by negativity. I mean, that's that's. That's just common sense. Um, the threefold law, that's, I think that's oversimplifying things. I think it's easy to say. It's easy to remind people. Um, but I think that it's, it's kind of, um, it's sort of dumbing down the concept, if you will. Um, there's, it's much more sophisticated than that. I, I think that we've all seen people um, get away with murder, quote-unquote, um, and, and seem to not uh, get their comeuppance, and we're all sitting around going, God, that's, this person is such a jerk. Why doesn't something terrible happen to them? And we've also known some very good people in our lives who have had some very bad things happen to them. Um, so it's not as easy as, well, if you're good all the time, only good will happen to you, and if you're a negative person, you're going to get yours, because if it were that simple, you know, it would be a very easy decision to make when it came time to make a choice to either take the high road or, you know, or do something low, it would be very obvious. No one would take the low road because if the backlash was that easy and, and, and if you could count on it that much, nobody would, you know, would choose the wrong path. I think in order to have the free will that you were talking about, I think sometimes you, you have to say, you know, sometimes you're going to um, do something good and you're not going to get a big bonus or a pat on the back for it. And it's, it's your own personal integrity and your own personal code. Does it count to you to, um, to, to do something positive for other than, um, oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get it back threefold. Oh, great. Well, I'm going to do good for this person so that I'll get it back threefold. If that's not, that's as bad as, you know, not doing something for the, for out of purely out of fear that you're going to have something three times worse happen to you. Um, I don't live my life that way. I just, uh, I go by my own personal uh, code and my own personal integrity when I uh, make my choices. I don't, I don't make a choice based on what I'm going to get back in return. I, you know, I choose to do something because that's my, that's my own code that I live by. It resonates with me, not necessarily everybody. Okay. So, all right, let's skip over the cursing and hexing stuff for a little bit. Let's go back to ghosts. <laughs> Okay. Why a ghost here? Yeah, I mean, you work with ghosts. You conjure ghosts because you're calling on them and everything. But why is some houses haunted by some spirits? And perhaps these people don't even know this person in this lifetime. Well, I think there there are probably as many reasons for that as there are ghosts. I don't know if there's any one answer to that question. I think that in some ways... Um, because when we connect with a spirit, um, while it resides in a human body, sometimes when that human body is no longer viable, that spirit is still connected to that person. They have a link through, um, you know, the bonds of love or, 
you know, uh, or other really strong emotions, it's not even necessarily always positive, um, that it, the, the human body passing cannot break that. I think that it's quite possible that, you know, it goes beyond the boundaries of, of the physical body. I, I believe that we have um, an eternal spirit or soul, if you will, um, that goes beyond what's, what's here in the physical body and that that matter can never be destroyed. I mean, basically, even scientifically, you'd have to agree with me, We matter transforms. It doesn't get eliminated. It can be right? neither created nor destroyed. You know, all witches and mediums love that, you know, because that's like a little bit of science that they can use to explain what they do. But, yeah, that's true. As far as we know now, that's true. Okay. So I think that that eternal spirit can sometimes focus on something so strongly that it, it does not let go when the physical body passes. Now, does that mean that they're going to get held up from going to heaven? In other words, are they going to be in purgatory? Does that mean they're going to get held back from going into their next life, a la reincarnation? Um, or is time not exactly linear? And this goes into, you know, you want to talk science and, and strange things. Is it, are, are, is the soul capable of splitting its time between a piece of it that remains, you know, back, that's called back to its former life, and does part of it move on, and does it only get reconnected later? I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm open. I'm not necessarily, I don't have a closed mind on that, I think. That's worth exploring because we think of ourselves as a singular unit because when we are incarnated here, we are contained within a body. But once we're broken out of that shell, we don't really know what we're capable of. We might be able to be in two places at once. We might be able to be segmented and then brought back together like Osiris. Interesting. I mean, you can believe in astral projection. We can believe in uh, almost, uh, well, anyways. But I actually have to ask, because you're talking about spirits and stuff, what about evil? Does evil exist? Do demons exist? I mean, right now it's very popular to be a demonologist. I mean, if there are like a million demonologists out there, I don't know how they get the degrees or whatever, but whatever. Um <laughs> Do you believe in evil, and does evil exist, and do demons exist? We won't even go to the devil. Get that part. Right. Can something be purely evil? Can something be purely good? I think um, from, from being here on Earth, I'll say it's very difficult for me to speak in those absolutes, because I think everything here on the planet is capable of being both. And it's all in what happens in, the, in that moment. How is that thing behaving in that moment? Because while water sustains us, water can also destroy us. We've seen water be the difference between life and death on this planet many, many times. So, you know, something as uh, fundamental as that has properties in both directions. It's capable of good and it's capable of evil. I guess you'd say we don't we don't necessarily call it evil, but it is capable of both. And so, on a very fundamental level, people are capable of both. I don't think anyone 
is all evil. I don't think anyone is all good, and therefore... Yeah, that's why we have confession in Catholic when Church. I think, yeah, and when I think about spirit, um, you know, I think that it's, it's probably very similar. I think that um, there are energies out there that are capable of both. It's like magic. People say, well, what's the difference between black magic and white magic? Well, um, it's just magic, really. And it's how, it's the intention of the person using it. It's the results that they get. Um, it's what, you know, it's what they intended versus, you know, what they get that is the difference. I mean, um, somebody can be working magic um, to, get a, to get a new job. They had a job interview they're working to get that job, and they think, this is really positive magic, and there's nothing the least bit negative about this. Well, if you land that job, the other four applicants are out of the job. So if you're not purely, purely good. I mean, there, there is a, there's a downside to what you're doing. I mean, there, there has to be. I'm not blaming that person at all for wanting that job. I'm just saying that even when you do something positive for yourself, occasionally it means something negative happens for somebody else. It doesn't mean you intended it. It just it just happens. That's life. And therefore, you know, with cause and effect, it's not all black and white. It's not that simple. It's, I can't. I don't think you can boil it down into something so, um, you know, so uh, cut and dry. I think that it it needs to. There needs to be some uh, gray area. I think that's a great example because, you know, everybody thinks of uh, that story, A Wonderful Life, right? Right. Where he's gone and all the bad things happen, but but they don't realize that because he was alive and certain things, maybe other things happened that were bad to people because of that as well. In the same instance, like you losing a job or whatever. I mean, uh, other people losing a job. We, the point of it is we all affect other people whether we know it or not. I mean, we do. Right. Yeah, everything we do. Um, we don't live in a, in a bubble. Mm-hmm. You know, so but you kind of like skipped over that demon part. I, I didn't quite hear any word <laughs> demon come out of your uh, lips there, honey. What's up? We do not believe in demons? Is that what you're telling me? Um, there are, there are um, archetypes. Archetype. Okay, define archetype. Don't throw big words. There are archetypal uh, energies. Like Diana, we discussed Diana earlier. Diana is an archetype that over centuries has built up a certain amount of energy and and has a persona that has been handed down. You know, that, that energy is recognizable in part because humans put their own belief behind that energy the power of the image of Diana um, is what it is because of the people that believe in that image and follow and understand that image and recognize it. That's what makes that image powerful. That's what makes the archetype of Diana have power with humans. It's the power that that she is given um, by living on in the hearts and minds of the people that, that, uh, that worship her. Likewise, when demons um, take root in someone's psyche, when people begin to process, um, you know, the image of that demon, and they start, uh, you know, learning about that demon and, and believing they saw that demon or believing that demon's been conjured, and then people are talking and speaking the name of that demon, 
it's lending energy to that archetype. It's giving that archetype power so that if these things exist, it's in part because humans give that energy. As we said, it's all about energy. Um, humans are giving that thing energy. It's what it's, um, it's how things become powerful. For instance, in America, we have a, a really powerful media. The media is practically its own archetype here in, in America. I mean, um, you know, the almighty dollar is very powerful here in America. And, and that has its own energy here. And so it's not even necessarily um, just the old-fashioned uh, image of, you know, uh, a specific demon, but even um, disincarnate things that we give so much power to here that wind up with, um, the, like, the power, almost like the powers of a god. So we are creating our own demons. And our own gods, yeah. In a lot of I mean, or we're identifying an energy and lending it power. We don't, it's not that we're necessarily creating it, but we're definitely identifying it and naming it um, and giving it power. Well, for instance, uh, I, the law of attraction, I mean, if you have negative energy and it attracts it to itself, does that, does that really happen? I mean, are, is negative in, attracted to positive? Well, you know, they, yeah, they, it's saying, you know, there's um, like attracts like and then there's opposites attract. So, you know, I think in, in many cases, um, whether good or evil, an archetype requires an audience, right? It requires people to recognize it and perpetuate it. If a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, if a god exists minute, and no minute, one follows it. Wait a minute. If a man is in the forest and he speaks and there's no woman around, is he still wrong? <laughs> On this show? <laughs> um, I know we're running out of time here, but I, I do see that. Um, I, I have one more thing. You, you, we were talking about spirits and how you guys conjure them. Where do spirits go when they're not being conjured? Um, Martha's Vineyard. You don't know. That's, <laughs> a, that's what I'm trying to figure out. You don't really know. So... No, we don't really Could know, be... but I think that's okay. I mean, the part, part of magic is that it's history. It's not all, if, if, if it were that simple, anybody would do it. Not for everyone. And these mysteries that mention uncovered before, each individual experience builds upon the lore that we have. But it's just like my um, you know, biology or anything else. I don't think we have all the answers. We did. We have species of yours. We have every planet mapped down to the you know, last foot. And we don't. We're still exploring. Imagine this area. We're definitely still exploring. All right. I know we're running out of time here, Sandra. Um, once again, we're talking with Sandra Mariah Power. And uh, I, I actually want to convey something to you. Um, you know Sean Portier, right? Yes, I did. Okay. And I still do. Exactly. Um, and you know, remember Christian, who was his partner at one time, right? His business partner, yeah. Yes, right. We were, uh, we had to do a book signing at the Life and Dead Tours, and Christian was being Christian. He was all tight and, you know, Christian. <laughs> 
So Maureen were over there, and we did Reiki on them, okay? So, but while we were doing Reiki, we actually got this, felt this weird energy. It was really strange. So we left, and we went to do our book signing, which is in the mall, okay? So I had my EMF meter, in fact, and, and I took it out, and I put it down on the table, and uh, we started talking and everything else, and then the EMF meter up, and we definitely, definitely felt a spirit that had joined us. And I looked at Maureen, and I said, it's shot, isn't it? And, you know, for me, you know, it just doesn't, you know, I just, this stuff just comes. <laughs> she looked at me, she said, you're right. She says, he's here. So he had appeared, and maybe that's what we were picking up that was close to Christian. I really don't know. But is that possible where, you know, he did know us. He did, Sean did know Maureen and myself. Would he be going to a book signing and, and seeing what's going on or what? Was there media there? <laughs> possible. <laughs> I, I just thought it was it's so interesting because we would swear, I mean, you cannot prove it, of course, but you would swear that Sean was there. It was absolutely Sean. Yeah. Sean's, uh, Sean's energy definitely is still with us. I I feel it um, around Salem especially. Um, and he certainly, um, you know, is around the people that were closest to him, uh, Christian, of course, being one of them. And um, I think that I remember being with Sean um, in a graveyard with you, um, oh using using the EMF. That was a long time ago. Using the EMF uh, machinery in the graveyard, and um, someone, a friend of mine, Dolly, took a photograph of Sean and I in that graveyard that I still have. Uh, so I know that Sean knew you, and I know that he knew your machinery. Um, because I used it with him, with you. So I think that absolutely he could certainly um, hone in on you, especially if you were in downtown Salem. That was really his domain and always will be. And uh, I do, we're just about out of time. But uh, did you know that I brought my EMF meter to his funeral? Did you? Yeah. Did you pick up anything? I did. I actually did. That was the first time I ever went to a, a witch's... Was it? Is it called a funeral? No, was it? You know, not the memorial. Not the memorial is that what the memorial? memorial right. Yeah, in Old Town Hall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Maureen, myself, and Jeff Belanger from Ghost Village. I think you might even know him too. But we were there, and uh, and, and I did. I took it out, and I, and I turned it on, and, and sure enough, it was bleeping off. But uh, and, and after it was all over, I gave it to Christian as a gift. Uh, but still, I mean, it's. That blend of the, the science and the supernatural, I mean, you know, wh why wouldn't you bring an EMF meter to a funeral? I mean, if if you can prove a spirit, they, a lot of people go to their own funerals. <laughs> they do. And I don't why mean, wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to see who shows up? This is an awful crappy crowd. You know, I thought I was a lot, like, a lot better than this. What's up with that? But, I mean, it's funny, and I I would think, and now this is really crazy, but because we hold funerals in such a, a downer, you know, that so it's an end, that uh, I, I think we ought to look at them more as a beginning in some, some cases. Why not bring a medium in and, and see if she, if he's there or whoever's passed, 
and, and, and wants to say something, right? Wouldn't that be great to say, you know, geez, I forgot to say, honey, I forgot to tell you I loved you today. I know I was mad when I left, but, you know, how much guilt would that would have saved, huh? Absolutely. I think, uh, I think it should be done. But kind of crazy, I know. But anyway, so anything you want to say as we r- round things off here as we uh, run out of time? Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. Oh, it was a blast. It was a pleasure. I hope that um, all your listeners, you know, I, thought, I hope we gave them some food for thought. No, oh, I always give them food for thought. Don't worry about that. <laughs> they have no clue what's going to come out of my mouth because I don't have the time. And maybe one day in the future we'll do that uh, experiment of yours where we go to a site and uh, conjure up spirits. Actually, have you ever heard of Bonnie the Witch? Yeah, I think so. I'm not I'm not intimately familiar with the tale. But... Ooh, we're running out of time. But it's a statue in Lowell Cemetery. Uh, of a of a supposedly born of the witch, and there are rituals where you go counterclockwise around the grave and stuff. But anyways, maybe that's something we could do together. Because I t- tried Maureen, it didn't work out that good. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we want to thank you so much for tuning in, and good night, and God bless.